Good morning, church. What a blessing it is to be here. I want to thank God uh, for allowing me to speak. And, uh, oh, I should probably tell you who I am. Uh, I'm Eric Fung. I'm the Princeton Seminary intern. And I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to, uh, to, to be the intern this summer at SMCC. I want to thank Reverend O'Grady for allowing me to be here. And I want to thank Reverend Jessica for um, letting me steal her thunder for today and helping me work through this sermon. I also want to extend a happy Father's Day uh, to all the father figures out there. If you haven't done so, make sure you reach out to your father figures, your coaches, professors, Sunday school teachers, piano teachers, all of that, and let them know how much you care about them and how thankful you are for them. I know I'm thankful for my father, even though uh, he always bores me and my sister with his stories Seriously, you have no idea how many times I've heard my dad say, Hey, Eric, have I ever told you about the time I ate seven Big Macs? Yes, Dad, you have. Probably a hundred times. I'm in my 25th year of life, and I still hear the same stories every time I come home. Because I'm home with my parents this summer uh, for the internship, I've been thinking about why I don't want to hear my dad's stories all the time. I used to think that it was purely just boring, that they bored me. But maybe I don't want to hear his stories because I want the story to be about me. Tell a story about me, Dad. Maybe we say the same thing about the gospel. As Christians, we have heard the gospel over and over and over again. Do we ever find that story boring? Maybe we do, and maybe it's because we want the story to be about ourselves. Or maybe we don't care for someone else's retelling of the story. We forget that stories unite us, and for us Christians, the ultimate story that unites us is the gospel. Leading up to our passage for today, Paul reminds the Romans that they live in sin, and God does not take that lightly. In the verse immediately preceding our passage for today, Paul tells us that the law has revealed our unrighteousness and sin. And thankfully, there is hope, though. Paul changes gears and he says, but wait, there's more. We have hope in Jesus Christ. Leon Morris calls Romans 3, 21 to 26, quote, possibly the most important single paragraph ever written, end quote. I think it's a tall order to ask a seminary student to preach a sermon on possibly the most important passage of scripture. But I hope to show you today that the beauty of these verses is that they are not about you and me, but instead reveal the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's jump into it. Our scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter three, verses 21 to 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement 
by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Church, would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. I ask that you hide me behind the cross, that your children might not hear Eric, but you, O Lord. Empower me through the Holy Spirit to speak your truth and empower the church to jettison what is not of you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Even without reading or watching the news, we know that divisiveness rather than harmony reigns supreme. Cat people, dog people, angels fans, Dodgers fans, conservatives, liberals. But in the one place that we expect to find unity in Christ, we find some of the most belligerent attitudes. We find ourselves telling our sisters and brothers, oh, you're not a real Christian. We categorize each other as right and wrong. And to be sure, God wired our brains to categorize. And that can be a good thing. Sneakers, cleats, Oxfords, Tevas, wedges, stilettos, these all fall under the category of footwear, but not all footwear is appropriate for every situation. We know that we should never wear flip-flops to a fancy restaurant or dress shoes to the gym. But we often apply this categorization in a harmful way. Let's revisit my father's stories. Perhaps I've decided that all of my father's stories a priori are the same and are inferior to mine. We do the same with people different from us. In her book, Disunity in Christ, social psychologist Christina Cleveland identifies two reasons that we see disunity in the church today. The outgroup homogeneity effect and perspective divergence. The outgroup homogeneity effect describes how we conflate all members of an outgroup, that's the people that we deem different from us. All my dad's stories are boring. All Presbyterians are the frozen chosen and sing with their hands at their sides. All Asians are good at math. In perspective divergence, because we do things differently from the outgroup, we then decide that we are better than the outgroup. My stories are better than my dad's stories. Baptists are better than Presbyterians because we actually lift our hands when we sing. It's a hint that I'm a Baptist. <laughs> Asians may be better at math, but they are not CEO material. We find so many ways to differentiate ourselves from each other and group ourselves based on these distinguishing features. We do communion better. We baptize better. We fight for justice better than those other churches. 
And yes, I do believe that there are better ways to practice communion, to baptize, and to fight for justice. But how easily we forget, how easily we forget, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ultimately, we want so desperately to sin less egregiously than that other guy. But that's not the solution to sin. Jesus Christ is. The title of my sermon is Unity Through the Faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Right now, you may be thinking, Preacher, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ does not appear in this passage. All I see is faith in Jesus Well, you're half right. Historically, we have translated the phrase pistis Christu as faith in Christ. But the Greek grammar allows for the translation faith of Christ. To be sure, it is necessary for the Christian to believe in Jesus Christ. For example, we will read in Romans 10 that Paul writes, everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame. But in today's passage, Paul does not emphasize the individual Christian's response. Rather, he emphasizes the revelation of God's righteousness. Notice the grammar here in verse 21. The righteousness of God has been disclosed. Certainly, God's righteousness is not disclosed through our own individual decisions to put our faith in Jesus Christ. I don't entrust myself to Jesus on my own. Nor is God's righteousness revealed in my own faith. Paul is saying that the righteousness of God is made known through the faith of Jesus Christ. And I can only have faith in Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ's faithfulness. My personal relationship with Jesus, while important, is not the most important. Christ is the most important. Now, the emphasis lies on Christ because our sinful nature separates us from God. Verse 23, for all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have sinned and I cannot live up to God's justice, righteousness, and glory. We cannot trust ourselves to place our faith in God because we would rather worship ourselves or those idols that we think will bring us ultimate joy and happiness. That's why we need to trust in Jesus Christ. His faithfulness reunites us with God. Here is the content of Jesus' faithfulness and the good news of the gospel. Verse 24, but we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So God justifies us. God makes us just. But how? It's by grace. It's not something we've earned or deserve. John Stott writes, How is it possible for the righteous God to declare the unrighteous to be righteous without either compromising his righteousness or condoning their unrighteousness? That is our answer. That's our question. God's answer is the cross. Paul explains the cross in verse 25. 
God put forward Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. Paul here refers to Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, as described in Leviticus 16 and 23. And after service, I highly recommend that you read those passages of Scripture. But in summary, the Day of Atonement is the one day of the year when the high priest takes two two goats. He sacrifices the first, and onto the other, the scapegoat, he asks God to transfer Israel's sins in exchange for the unblemished goat's innocence. The doctrine of atonement is difficult to understand, but I think C.S. Lewis paints a great atonement picture in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Edmund joins the white witch in exchange for a little bit of Turkish delight. He betrays his siblings, Aslan, and all of Narnia, and the witch enslaves him. Sin is like Turkish delight. It's never as good as we think it is, and yet it feels so irresistible. This is humanity's sinful condition. Even after he realizes that the Turkish delight and the white witch cannot bring him satisfaction, it's too late. He cannot save himself. We too cannot save ourselves from sin. Peter, Susan, and Lucy wish so badly for their brother to return to him. But somebody else must redeem Edmund from his treachery. Aslan gives himself up to the white witch to atone for Edmund's sin and to restore him to his siblings. When Aslan gives himself up to the white witch, he takes on Edmund's sin and clothes Edmund with his own righteousness. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The son atoned for our sins by offering up himself and taking upon himself our sin in order to clothe us in his righteousness. Thankfully, neither Jesus's nor Aslan's stories end there. No, death could not hold our Lord. Despite our hatred, our murderous hearts, our sexual immorality, our racism, our classism, our sexism, our queer phobia, all of the sins, the total sum of sins that have ever been committed, all of that, despite all of that, Jesus Christ rose from the dead because death could not hold a sinless man. The son, fully God and fully man, ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the father to intercede on our behalf. I told you earlier that this sermon was not going to be about you and me. I sort of misled you because I wanted to show you that Jesus Christ has accomplished the most difficult part, overcoming sin and death, such that through his faithfulness, 
he would reunite us to God and to each other. In response to this, Paul calls us to respond joyfully, writing in verse 26, so that God would be just and the justifier of the one who lives, who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. Notice what Paul says of the Christian. You and I live because of Jesus' faithfulness. We have the freedom to live joyfully for him because of the gospel story. We do not have to worry about how we are changing the world. God says, look what I have already done. Look at that empty cross. We live united as one body, his body, because of Jesus' faithfulness faithfulness to the point of death, even death on a cross. But when we look at the church, do we see the unity that Paul promises us in Jesus Christ? I look at social media and I see so much divisiveness. Despite the gift of God's son as a means to unify us to himself, we fight each other. The debate surrounding systemic racism has taken the nation and our church by storm. All of the comments always start with all of you, all of them. Weird, isn't it? The outgroup homogeneity effect and perspective divergence strike yet again. We so easily are able to unify over silly things like Veggie Tales and Toby Mac and memes. But once the rubber hits the road, you, 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 they, 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 what we need is we. I understand that some of you might not think that racism is uh, the biggest problem that our country currently faces. Maybe you think it's economic injustice or something else. Or maybe you think America is just fine. That's okay. But try putting yourself in the shoes of your black siblings. We need to see the sins of racism and classism and how they affect those different from you and me. They are our siblings in Christ. Their pain should matter to us. Whether you think racism is our biggest problem or not, we as a church need to unite, to pray, to converse, to act, but together. Church, today I want to challenge all of us to see racism as our problem. It's not their problem. It's not a black Christian problem. It's not an Asian Christian problem. It's our problem. As Christians, free and unified in and because of Jesus's faithfulness, we have the freedom to have conversations about racism with each other. We have the freedom to start reading groups, to protest, to donate to causes. Some might say that Christians shouldn't be political. 
But Jesus Christ is Lord is the most political statement that we can make. During Roman occupation, Christians who declared Jesus Christ is Lord were themselves declared enemies of the state. They refused to bow down to an earthly Caesar who had overstepped his right to rule. To say Jesus Christ is Lord is to submit our entire being to Jesus Christ because he rescued us from sin and death. Everything we do bears witness to his name. We're siblings in Christ. We may have different views on what causes our problems. But in fact, we all agree that it is sin. We may have different views on how to solve our societal crises. But in fact, we all agree that it is Jesus Christ. If today you find yourself crying out for blood to be spilled, remember that that was already accomplished 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem. For those of you who are not crying for blood to be spilled, remember that blood indeed needed to be spilled on Calvary for our sins. Jesus Christ died for you and for me and even penitent racists. When the storm rages on outside, we must remind ourselves that we are the elected church, atoned by faithfulness, by the faithfulness, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I hope the power and the beauty and the unfathomability of the gospel never cease to amaze you even after we hear it over and over and over again. Church, will you pray with me? Almighty God, we adore you, but we confess that we sin against you and against our neighbor. We let issues tear our relationships asunder, and we do not seek reconciliation. God, our country and your church is hurting. Sins like racism divide us. And so we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that we might be unified with you and with each other. Empower us with your Holy Spirit to exhort each other and to rebuke when necessary. May we always reflect your son, Jesus Christ, in whose powerful name, We pray. Amen.